This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. has a story to tell. And I like to think that the digital world, that is our world, has become a place that better empowers everyone to tell that story. And my guests today are helping make that happen. Like a lot of institutions that support young people with, uh, exclusively young people with um, exceptional uh, circumstances with their cognitive abilities, emotional, um, social. uh, Spectrum 360 is a private institution, uh, but it is a 501c3 in northern New Jersey with multiple campuses. And they serve uh, young learners from districts all over the state on the autism spectrum. And um, this is an exciting episode for me because I aspire to make the show one that is about um, opportunity and accessibility and innovation um, for everyone and across all environments. And uh, this was such a good way to open a doorway to a population that is too often overlooked in the context of digital learning and um, means a lot to me because it's also uh, uh, connected to me very personally personally in that it is the sort of work home to my wife who uh, has specialized in this area for uh, all of her career. David Diani and Vincent Vicendrello are really remarkable, a, a, a duo, and uh, formerly teacher and student, now still, uh, you know, ed- educator and mentor, but um, but partners in crime as well in uh, operating an amazing program at Spectrum 360 that introduces uh, young people on the spectrum to uh, film and video and so, so, so much more, as you'll hear through our conversation. Before we dive in to this episode, I want to ask you for this favor. Uh, If you believe in the show, if you want to continue to hear um, these dialogues um, in whether it supports your practice, your thinking about uh, your own kids and their education, reach out and give us a giant 
podcast hug by doing the following. Head back to wherever you downloaded the episode, rate and review us. It helps spread the word about what we're doing and raise awareness so that we can bring more support to the show to cut more episodes for you. Thank you in advance for doing it. Check out my conversation with David and Vincent and the time that I got to spend at a pretty incredible place, Spectrum 360. Guys, thank you so much for joining the show. It's nice to be here. Um, No such thing is a show about, um, about learning with technology and uh, the digital environment and uh, what you guys is so special in, in part what I'm so excited about is that this is the first episode that we're doing um, that is related to um, access uh, and special education and um, what it looks like when we talk about uh, new literacies and uh, digital age skills for everyone. Um, so we are here at Spectrum 360, which I should do a, uh, a, a quick full disclosure. Um, this happens to be um, my wife, who I've mentioned in previous episodes, uh, the sort of very, um, the place that she very fondly calls her work home. Um, many of the people who we just did a tour and no doubt uh, many of the people we just passed know her face better than I do these days. Um, but I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Um, can just to start out, I want to, um, ask you quickly, um, David to talk about Academy 360 because it's a very special place and, um, there are multiple sort of programs and schools within, and I wanted everybody to know sort of the lay of the land. Sure. Spectrum 360 is our organization, which is comprised of multiple different programs. All of the programs are focused on addressing the special needs that um, young people, young children, all the way up to adults have when they're on the autism spectrum. Um, So Spectrum 360 is comprised of Academy 360 Lower School, and that's pre-K to ninth grade currently. Academy 360 Upper School, which is 10th grade to 12 plus. That means students can go up to 21 years of age. We also have Independence 360, which is what we call our adult program. Those are for um, adults 21 and older who still need services and and, uh, multiple types of services, pre-vocational, living skills, those types of things. We have some special programs, one of them being the program that I'm the director of, Film Academy 360, And we can talk a lot more about that, but that's to um, expose students on the autism spectrum from 16 to really any age. I think our our oldest guy is 35, uh, who currently comes here, uh, to the world of film, digital media, video making, as both pre-career self-expression and especially awareness. And Culinary Academy 360, which is uh, a program that is also giving young people on the autism spectrum various levels of skills, some of them being more life skills oriented, others being pre-vocational actual culinary skills. David, what did you know about um, individuals living with autism spectrum disorder before you started doing this work? I could safely say zero. (laughs) The first time uh, I met people on the spectrum was the first day that I started working here. 
and and uh, tell me a little bit about how that transition worked for you. Where were you in your career? Because you're somebody who has a serious history in the world of film and television, and um, and now you are at least for a good majority of your time here. Um, how did that transition work? So, have you ever? jumped into a pool of freezing cold water. <laughs> it was kind of like that, um, but not in a negative way. It was uh, it was definitely a shock. I worked for many, many years, over 20 years in uh, the television production business, both in New York City for people that you know we'd all recognize here in America and for a longer time in Europe, where I was working for uh, international and national broadcasters, uh, producing TV programming. Uh, traveled around the world, uh, went to war, interviewed well-known, uh, famous people and produced a lot of TV programming that was seen by, by many and, and pretty much well-reviewed and successful. And after doing that for many years, my life brought me back to my home country, which is the United States. And I was very interested in education. I worked for a, a specialized channel in, in Italy that was actually an educational channel. Hmm. And that actually got me into schools for the first time as an adult you know, having no longer been a student. Yeah. And I started to get very interested in education as a practice. Um, and Happenstance brought me here to Spectrum 360 to a meeting with our current director, uh, Bruce Enter, who's our executive director. And he very much opened the door to this idea of, yes, media production, film, TV production for our students could be great. So, as I said, was not autism, not something I was familiar with. I needed to do teacher training to actually work here, which is also kind of out of my comfort zone at the time. Having said that, I've been doing it for 10 years and it feels very natural to me now. Mm -hmm. uh, became a certified teacher to be able to work with the students and then founded uh, the program that I now run, Film Academy 360. I will always remember the first day that I was working here and a young man walked up to me and looked at me and fell on the ground. <laughs> and as a, the responsible adult in the room, I was like, what do I do? And the, the young man got right back up, started laughing, and it was just an incredible experience because I realized that my world was opening up to people who I hadn't met before. Mm. Uh, people who are all individuals and all different, but who have a different take on life than most of the other, than myself and most of the other people I've met. Um, so it was like a, a splash of cold water, but it was also very um, experientially expanding. And again, I've had a lot of experiences in life, mm. <laughs> you know, from being in on the savannah with big animals to being in wartime. And this was definitely up there in terms of that sensory, wow, this is a different. Mm. You need to write a book. <laughs> I think I should. What, what was the student doing when he fell on the ground? He has had, and I think still has, kind of a sense of humor all his own. And I thought so that he was, he, it was sort of a pratfall. It was kind of a pratfall, but you know, no one prepared me for it. Right. They said, Oh, okay. You're the new guy. Stand here. Yeah. And this is, this is also a setting where uh, seizure disorder exists of course, and um, lots of other behaviors where uh, kids can hit the deck uh, and adults. Um, so you on your first day, see this kid hit the deck yep. and it must have been a, a breath of uh, relief, a sigh of relief <laughs> when he stood up, it, I would imagine. It was, it really was. Um, so before we move to your history a little bit, Vince, um, autism spectrum disorder 
we're in we're in this um this is great because vince and i are realizing at the same time that we have some audio coming through um some speaker in this room but it's it's actually wonderful we are in a beautiful studio uh and it's probably an announcement as classes transition i would i would guess they're playing uh, music yeah once in a once in a while they will play music uh at this time that's yes. great um okay i just wanted to make sure i wasn't hearing things but so vince <clears throat> i think autism spectrum disorder scares a lot of people um, they don't know what it means. Uh, they also don't know what it means to ha- to have a disorder, the sort of spectrum aspect of um, what this means. Um, can you do your best to sort of define autism spectrum disorder <clears throat> the way you would to a friend or a family member who just knows nothing about it? Man, so that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty general statement like what is autism so for what i have is asperger's which is kind of a branch off of autism it's kind of in the higher functioning level of autism where there's certain uh social boundaries so a person on the the spectrum that has asperger's would be someone that might not be able to understand certain uh facial expressions or social signals of that sort where we might not be able to tell if somebody's upset or mad or isn't interested in a certain topic, which actually leads me into another part of Asperger's where uh, pers- a person on that part of the spectrum will have uh, certain, uh, uh, they will focus on something very uh, intensely, some sort of uh, hobby. So for me, it's like, it's cameras and it's uh, things of that nature. So if I really like cameras, I'm going to spend a lot of my time talking about cameras to the extent where somebody might not be as interested or might not want to be listening to that for, you know, a half hour or something Mm -hmm. crazy like that, you know, they'll give me social cues. And luckily, you know, having been a former student here, I've learned over time, oh, okay, this person doesn't want to talk about this anymore. Oh, they want to change the topic or maybe talk, talk about something they want to talk about. So... If I'm going to explain this to somebody, I'm going to say, for me personally, it's a social barrier that I've spent a lot of time working past. And usually the response I get is, oh, I would have never noticed that you were on the spectrum. I would have never assumed Mm -hmm. that you were on the spectrum. But uh, sure enough, I have to say yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and um, what does... uh, When somebody talks about being on the severe end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. what what might that look like? So... That could be uh, many different things. Uh, I've seen kids that uh, will stim or they will uh, uh, flail. There's different, many different, uh, I guess, many different words that we use here. But, uh, you know, a kid might uh, shake their arms or they might... uh, they might uh, script. They might say certain lines from a movie uh, on kind of just this repetitious. They just have this repetitious way of saying different movie lines and some and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where um, it's not in any particular context. It's just because at that moment they have that that need to uh, say something verbally like that. Um, it's it's really it is really a big mystery that we've you know a lot of people have been trying to figure out for a long time and. 
there's all different sorts of things that uh, someone lower on the spectrum will do. Mm-hmm. And uh, one big one I've noticed uh, since teaching here is um, having someone actually be able to focus on a certain task. So we have kids come in here, actually in the next couple hours, kids that are going to come in for a CBWE, a, a career-based work experience, that um, they're going to come in, we're going to give them an editing project, and we're going to be like, okay, uh, here's this project, just splice these different clips together. If you need any help, you know, let us know. And usually, uh, after a few minutes, they're going to start kind of uh, straying. They might be thinking different thoughts and not actually focusing on the task at hand. And then we'll give them some, you know, some occasional reminders. Okay, you know, let's do this. Oh, you know, do you need any help with this? Do you understand how to uh, cut this clip, how to, uh, you know, pre-visualize these shots? And, you know, sure enough, we get through the workday, we'll grade them, you know, and we'll send them, send them to their next class. Mm-hmm. So there is also that. Uh, that part portion where a kid just needs certain help, uh, you know, uh, staying on task and focusing on one direction. Yeah. So <clears throat> you're now um, a working media professional. Yes. Um, you also have the school, I should say, has this uh, amazing gift that is uh, a sort of a peer mentor in a way, a young uh, person who has come out of this context and um, I should say come come through, uh, been supported by this context and, and is now working alongside young people. Um, let me ask, when, when you were uh, in middle school, high school age, um, did you ever think this is, this is where you'd land? You'd be a, a media professional. You'd be, uh, when I walked in, you were working on, um, cutting some video on Adobe Premiere. Um, you know, the equipment in this room, like the back of your hand, um, was that a, a dream or even a consideration when you were younger? Uh, so actually in middle school is when I really wanted to start making uh, movies. You know, I think like a lot of movie makers, we all started out making things with our friends, you know, when we were younger, just little silly skits or whatnot. And so when I started doing that, I really started having that interest. And then it really kicked off in, uh, I'd say, I think it was 20, 2013 when uh, my boss, my now boss, uh, David Diani, offered me a job at the film school program in August. We had a at that time, it was a three-week program, you know, three weeks straight, Monday through Friday, of us coming in, working with a handful of kids and creating these short sketches, which we do now, you know, on a bigger scale, of yeah. course. And uh, that's really how it started, and it really, you know, fur- pushed me further into uh, wanting to do this as a future career. Yeah. And, Mark, you should know, Vincent's about to graduate from Burton Community College from the TV Broadcasting Department. Yes. And plans to transition to MSU in the TV. So he's doing an academic career as well. Pretty outstanding. So MSU is Montclair State University, for those who don't know it. And what's the, the major that you'll go in with? Uh, well, if, if you make the transition, yeah. See, if I make the transition, yes, I'm looking to go into broadcasting. I believe that they have an actual broadcasting major, although in Bergen, uh, it's classified under science for mm-hmm. some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yes, that's what I'm aiming for, and that's what I'm, I'm striving to do. And I'm close. I got a couple, couple more years until I get that, you know, that bachelor's. But uh, you know, right now it's, it's all smooth sailing. I know the knowledge, and I'm, I'm using my knowledge that I learned here. You know, working with the students, working in the studio, and I'm applying it in my uh you know in my education and uh, i'm doing well doing all right uh when you see work out there in the world right now that really inspires you 
um, and and makes you feel like you know what this is this is where I want to be this is the kind of thing I want to be doing um, what work do you think of is it is it big Hollywood movies is it uh, boutique independent films is it uh, what's what's your passion now see I've always, I've always been told to you know shoot for the stars don't aim low but. Uh, you know, I'm really looking to get into like television, maybe even commercial uh-huh. uh, production. You know, mostly in the you know editing department. So you know, sitting in front of a desk all day, uh, throwing <laughs> together these you know spliced edits that come from you know from God God knows where. You know, uh, that's really where I see myself, and that's really what I'm striving to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So you you're the appeal for you is not so much lugging a camera and cables around. Uh, but but being a part of the post production process and seeing things come to life. Yeah, I would say so for sure, for sure. And did did that passion? Do you think um, was that seeded in your experiences here? I would say so. Yeah, actually, I mean, you know, all all starting from when I was a kid, even before the film program was here, I had that that seed planted, but not enough to be like, yes, this is what I want to do for a future career. More like. This is something fun just to do in my mm-hmm. spare time, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, once I started working here, it really kind of clicked. I was like, you know what? I'm pretty good at this. Uh, you know, I know the equipment. I know the way things work, you know, the way things run. And you know what? I think I want to do this, you know, for uh, the next few years, you know, the next few decades. And we'll see, you know, yeah. how far I go into it and how long I'm, uh, you know, plan on being in it. Yep. But as of right now, I see myself wanting to do this for a very long time. It's for sure. Good. Yeah. Um, David, so, so I did, um, I always do a fair amount of homework before these conversations. And, and, uh, so I was in the last couple of days, just looking at the research as it relates to, um, what's been done and what's being done now, um, in the way of, uh, the, of media education as it relates to kids with spectrum disorders. Um, can you tell us a little bit, I, I know that there's a lot out there that is um, really about media making as um, building social skills and, and having to work collaboratively and, and uh, those kinds of pieces. Can you tell us about the balance for you between um, really, it's, it's kind of, I'm sure for the two of you, what's the balance between this program as um, uh, one that that teaches those life and social skills and one that's really getting into storytelling and um, the technical aspects of film and television. So I think the answer to that depends on the student or small group of students that we're working with. Um, There are some students that I see have the ability, desire, and drive to learn more about storytelling and improve their storytelling capabilities. Mm. And when I see that, I really try to focus on that on a couple of levels. One is on a pre-vocational level, um, but also on an awareness level. And what I mean by that is that creating pieces that the world can see and can see that individual, that group of individuals in a new way because they produced that original product. Um, And I would say that's probably the sort of top tier uh, level of our mission. Mm. Um, the other aspect that all of our students, everyone that comes here gets, is some of what you talked about, certainly working collaboratively. Uh, 
because that's such an important skill for people. Well, for I think for all young people today, but especially people with autism, it's so important because it's such a big deficit. And having that experience really reinforces that and hopefully opens their eyes to the their ability to actually do that. Um, in another level, we have all of our students who, by virtue of being on camera, mm-hmm. can at least temporarily improve what I kind of call, and in, in, uh, I've heard Dr. Um, one of our consultants call, the observable social skills, mm-hmm. right? So it's not necessarily what's going on inside, but what they're, what we call presenting with. Mm. So our students are able to improve their speech through clearer, more enunciated, more modulated speech. And the reason I mention those things is because if you know people with autism, oftentimes it's really the way that they speak in terms of intonation, lack of modulation, um, lack you, of enunciation. Can, when you say lack of modulation, <clears throat> what does that mean? So when I'm speaking like this, I am very monotone. And this is typical of some people on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly have a very modulated speaking voice mm-hmm. as I speak. But again, I think I have a, a within the typical range of modulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of our students are much more monotone. Mm-hmm. So they need to understand that there are highs and lows in your voice and acting and being on camera intrinsically teaches that. And then we also specifically in a, you know, teach those skills of using a range of voice, you know, yeah. having your voice go up and down to express meaning. Right? Yeah. So as Vincent pointed out, one of the things in, uh, in autism, whether you're speaking about someone on one end of the spectrum or the other is communication and difficulties with social communication. It's one of the biggest issues with autism. You know, we like to point out that someone with autism is someone with autism, and just because this person has the same diagnosis as that other person doesn't mean they're going to exhibit the same abilities or deficiencies, right? Mm. But one thing that we do notice throughout the autism spectrum is this difficulty with social communication. Not necessarily speaking, but social communication. So Vincent mentioned this term, scripting. Right. Mm-hmm. Most people are like, what does that mean, scripting? What it means is that a student will obsessively repeat a, uh, a line, a word or a phrase, often from movies or, or media, and they just kind of say it over and over again. They get a stimulant, it's a stimulant stimulation that is somehow self-soothing, presumably, that they say in this, by saying this thing over and over again, there's something that is satisfying to them. Mm-hmm. It's completely socially unacceptable. So they're speaking but they're certainly not communicating. Yeah, You know, they say, Thomas is a tank engine. Thomas is a tank engine. I'm speaking, but I'm not speaking to you, Mark. Mm -hmm. So communication is huge. And what you realize as you start to analyze communication, analyze acting, if you will, or being on camera, is that it's not just what you say, but also how you say it. Mm. What we can do is really impact that. And, you know, we're we're currently involved in research that I, I believe... Uh, will show that in a more statistical way than me just sitting here telling you. But the students improve on their speech through some of these observable types of skills, um, both in body and in voice. And what that seems to foster, and I say seems because there's no way to measure that, it seems to foster some additional self-confidence. So in a deep level, all of our students are getting that, even though that's not really what the program was founded for. We found it as a, a sort of very nice benefit and fall off benefit from everything that we're doing. 
Um, so it really breaks down to three levels. You know, we have students who are just here to socialize, get something out there for awareness. Mm -hmm. This is what I've done. It builds self-esteem. Other students who say, I might want to do this as a career. Like Vincent, if they have the ability and the drive, we're going to try to foster that. And students who are, are doing their, uh, their own self-expressive pieces uh, for their YouTube channels, our YouTube channel, uh, film festivals, and other outlets. And all those students, I believe, are gaining a lot of kind of observable social skills while they're involved in those yeah. things. I, there's so much that you just said that I, I want to come back to. Um because I'm also I'm realizing how much um, how many uh, gaps we might have to fill in in people's knowledge of uh, the whole context and and the learner that we're that we're talking about. Um, but what you just described that there's these three types of students. Um, I talk to so many programs nationally. Um, uh, film and video programs, game design, uh, lots of computer science education programs. And um, that's really consistent with uh, the other programs that are out there, that there are really three types of students. There's a smallest percentage, which is usually the kid who's going to take whatever skill um, they're learning through the program, the, the hard skill, I should say, um, and carrying it through to some sort of uh, work pathway um, or, or passion that continues. Um, there's the much bigger percentage that are kids who fall somewhere in the middle. You know, maybe they do some of that. It's infused with other other work that they're doing, um, but maybe are not going to be, you know, uh, a media professional per se. Um and then there's the percentage who um, do nothing related, go into um, uh, it. I, I hesitate to say nothing related when it comes to technology now because everything is related. But let's say uh, they are going to uh, become uh, house framers, um, which is still relatively um, very difficult, but low tech. Um, and uh, and yet those students are still going to walk away with a set of life and, and social skills that um, they wouldn't have had otherwise. So so that's fairly common. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I wonder you we talked a little bit about the scripting and I want to come back to that for a second. Um, do you guys know there was a film a couple of, of years ago called Life Animated? Yes. Um, and so it was directed by Roger Ross Williams, and it's the story of this um, now young man, um, Owen Suskind. And it seems like with Owen, there was this story of where scripting sort of transitioned into uh, a way for him to communicate with the world. Um, can, can you uh, tell us about the movie? I can, if, it, if it's been a while. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, his, his dad uh, realized that his son was communicating through these Disney films. Right. And uh, there's been research. I, I, I'm, I wouldn't be able to cite it. Um, but, you know, intuitively, like, I, I know that a lot of our students are really, really into Disney. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something probably about the exaggerated facial expressions. You know, Vincent, Vincent mentioned the difficulty in autism with that. Probably the fact that it's so exaggerated. Probably the fact that they're non-threatening somehow to our students. Whereas, apparently, and, you know, Vincent may be able to confirm this, especially as a younger man, there's a lot of anxiety, apparently, that comes with autism. We all have some sense of social anxiety. Meeting someone new, it's a little bit of an anxious feeling. Yeah. Feeling autism is just through the roof. So yeah. there's a sense that these cartoons are just more accessible, right? 
And I think that, um, you know, Susskind realized his son could use those lines from the film to safely express what he was saying. That's how I interpreted the film. Mm -hmm. And therefore create a dialogue, because as I said, and the film confirms, the big issue with autism is social communication. Yeah. Right. So not necessarily speaking, but being able to actually communicate. Um, so, you know, it's the, I think the film deservedly got a lot of accolades because it's such a breakthrough concept. Um, you know, so I think that there's a lot there in terms of obviously the deficit in communication. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not sure that I would, you know, I would recommend that as a strategy, even though I know that um, that he was starting workshops for, you know, Disney workshops, hey, get guys together and really help them use that as a tool. I think in that regard, that's great. And, you yeah. know, I support that 100%. We're trying to deal with um, the communication, I think, on a, on a different level than that, where we want to move beyond needing to identify with, you know, a, a Disney character to be able to communicate. Yeah. So, so um, I, I, it's a great reminder what you just said that we should um, caveat this entire conversation with the fact that there are uh, amazing and talented professionals in your life. So if you um, are, you know, someone in your family, someone close to you is living with autism, um, all of the things, certainly I hope that this conversation is good fodder for a new discussion you might have uh, with the professionals in that person's life. But absolutely, these things are um, to be dealt with by the professionals in an individual's life. You emphasized how um, each one of these young people is an individual. And so um, so none of this is meant as a generalization. But the, the interesting thing that I took from the combination of what you were saying in this uh, film uh, about Owen Susskind is um, that it, for, it, I'm interested in this element that's about storytelling and how um, for a young person who might start by scripting, you know, might start in the character of, of a Disney film. Um, and get comfortable there. Uh, but then there's a transition point where it helps them start to relate to the world. I guess the, the, the interesting point for me is whether for young people in your studio who come in and for the first time are looking through a camera um, at another young person or two people acting or in some cases themselves, um, whether there are parts of the art of storytelling that are actually scaffolding their ability um, to relate with the world and communicate and tell their own stories and do the things socially that those of us who don't um, live with autism um, don't struggle with. Um, is, is there a connection there or am I, am I, um, have you observed through the storytelling process, do you see young people getting closer to, um, being able to tell their own stories and, and even if not their own stories, at least relate with the world around them? So I, I think the answer to that is actually twofold. Um, because the first part of your question was kind of my biggest hope when I started this program, to be honest with you to give the 
the tools, and by tools I don't just mean cameras, I also mean cameras, but not just cameras, just but the knowledge tools and the theoretical tools to tell stories and tell stories better. You know, uh, in college that's what I learned and as a professional. You know, working with people who, uh, executive producers who were molding what I was doing, I also learned, um, and I wanted to give that to my students. Um, I would say, you know, I've been doing this for ten years. That's probably the area that disappoints me most in that I don't feel like the students that I've been working with uh, really get their hands around that storytelling piece. And by mm -hmm. storytelling piece, I mean what you and I and Vincent would typically see as the kind of story arc or progression of a story. Mm -hmm. Because I think that it really, it really taps into their deficits, mm. you know, that thinking 360 degrees around something. Mm. You know, if you're a very narrow thinker, you're not making the implicit connections that is what storytelling is about, right? That disparate idea that you're tying together through your thought process, right? Mm -hmm. That's what writing and storytelling really is. It's, oh, well, I've got a flower here and I have a rock here and I'm going to show my viewer why those two things are related, right? For, as a concrete thinker, well, there's a flower and there's a rock. There's no connection, mm -hmm. right? So I feel like in terms of creating stories that will speak to us and therefore give us insights into their disability, I haven't seen that. Mm. Um, having said that, the other piece to your question, I think, is um, is there a value in being seen? And I would say, on the other hand, absolutely. Right. So that same student who maybe isn't constructing a great story arc because he doesn't have the or she doesn't have the capability to see those connections and understand those social progressions intuitively and therefore express them is on camera showing herself in her best light is on camera showing himself in his best light showing what is interesting to, to, to mm -hmm. him or her um, and by virtue of that is getting us to know them better you know I think that Hollywood and media in general has whether it's been a leader or a follower has truly been the thing that causes social change you know I think that people watching mixed races and, you know, mixed cultures on TV every night has reinforced a sense of familiarity. And I feel like familiarity is what really changes social ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have, if you can see another person as a person and not a label, you know, that's not a, uh, you know, a white man or that's not a gay man or a gay woman, that's not a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or, you know, an African-American, but a person that I'm talking to. I think that's when barriers fall. So that's what I said. My, my answer is really twofold. On the one hand, no, we're not getting the, the great novels and Hollywood stories out of our guys in my experience. And I really want to preface that because I certainly don't want to put limits on it. As an educator, the last thing I want to do is put limits on anybody. Mm -hmm. In my experience, I haven't seen that. What I have seen is a sense of self-acceptance through seeing you know, ourselves on camera um, and a sense of other people being able to see our students who put themselves on YouTube and put themselves in film festivals in a different light. And, you know, I have a, a story about that where, you know, an actual family member having, after seeing another family member uh, introduce the piece that they did at a film festival and then watch the film festival and watch other people saying, wow, that was awesome, changed his attitude about his family member. Someone he'd known his whole life, he said, wow, this is the first time I've seen him in that light. So you would think about awareness as, well, those people who don't know anything about this 
we're not connected to need awareness. It's a deeper level of awareness where how do we see these people? What, what do you what what do you guess that they meant? Um, was it that the family member never saw this person as um, having creative ideas? Was it that they didn't have the sort of uh, facility to put something wonderful together? Um, yeah. So I it? think I think that you know we talk about. I mean, it's almost become kind of a little bit trite when we talk about abilities, not disabilities. But I think in this case, and and the reason I mentioned the story as significant is because I think that person didn't see his family member as someone who had abilities. I think his whole life he'd say he identified him as disabled, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think that seeing, well, he's funny. He can speak well to an audience. Mm-hmm. Others are appreciating what he's done. Well, his son shown a new light on this person and said, wow, this is someone I, I wasn't, was there, but I wasn't recognizing. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the deepest level of awareness yeah. that we open our hearts and our minds to someone's difference and can see them in their positive light. That doesn't mean that the disability isn't there, but it's, it's kind of forcing us into a mindset where we need to see the abilities and the disabilities and I don't think that we should, you know, ever frame it, well, they're just able. Of course not. None of us are just able. And none of us are just disabled. And I think that we can, when we can open people's hearts and minds to that, that's really what's significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that, you know, my disappointment in the lack of great stories coming out of these students is very much tempered by, I think, the huge opportunity to um, to offer acceptance to to those who are watching what they do do. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, I think uh, yours for what it's worth is um, a common experience for educators that they go in and they want to make, uh, you know, in in your case, you want to make every young person into uh, Spike Lee, Steven Spielberg, whoever, whoever. um, But, um, you know, there are, I think what you learn over time is that uh, regardless of whether young people are aspiring to that, uh, which that's the other part of the equation, right? Is other people have to actually want to do these things. Um, they're gaining tremendously from the things that the, the, the very professional environment here and, and what it is that they're experiencing. So um, that seems pretty normal that, that uh, you know, you wouldn't feel like, you know, we're turning out, uh, Oscars every day. Uh, Oscars, right. <laughs> That's right. Vince, I wonder for, um, you, we talked a little bit about, um, the autism spectrum disorder and, and young people who, um, experience are, are sort of symptomatic in that way. Um, social cues and there's sort of a, a social language, if I can call it that, that, can be um, can be one of the hardest things to sort of take on, right? Um, you though are 
really deeply interested in post-production. And with film, there's filmic language. And a lot of your being able to do that job well relies on your being able to see a director's vision for how an interaction is going to take place through the camera, right? And there are all these conventions. There's a shot reverse shot. There's, um, uh, you know, you drop in all of the language of, uh, of cameras, um, is that hard for you or, or was that actually a really supportive thing for you that you could sort of in post-production break down what was happening shot by shot and have a little bit of a, uh, secondary language to it. So you could sort of look at it technically rather than, um, having to sort of decode it in the moment. Hmm. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually not sure. Uh, I would say when I first started having to edit uh, actual client jobs, yeah, uh, it was definitely difficult at first um, to kind of, uh, I guess you could say, pre-visualize the edit. So, you know, maybe I started on a close-up shot or a detail shot, and maybe I didn't fully establish. Uh, what was going on in the scene, and this also, yeah. you know, being an entirely different language besides actual like social cues being, you know, a scripted, uh, a scripted uh, dialogue, um, was definitely different for me. But also made it kind of easier over time to understand because everything was already written out and prepared mm. in advance. So I didn't have to use as much of those uh, social cues or any, anything of that sort to actually create the finished product. Um, what I wanted to say, though, was uh, through uh, through working here, uh, you know, on all these film projects and working with all these students, uh, there was also a certain social barrier that was broken down over time where uh, when you're in this business, even though I'd be sitting behind the desk, you know, probably not socializing as much as maybe the camera guy is or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe the lighting guy is, uh, there's still a certain level of social communication that's needed between, you know, the boss that's telling you, okay, I love this edit, but change this, change this, you know, and change that. Mm -hmm. And uh, through communication like that, it actually did improve my overall social communication outside of work, uh, you know, being able to uh, receive this information, process it and execute it. Uh, I would say that that got, you know, that definitely was cleaned up through my uh, my my me working at this uh, at the the, uh, the film school. Yeah, um, that's pretty that's pretty powerful. I would actually comment a little bit because I've you know I've been observing Vincent uh, as a filmmaker since he was what thirteen, Vincent. Uh, about that, yeah. I actually uh, have a, a picture of him when he's thirteen at the beach it's on a school trip, which that's he's a whole completely embarrassed about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so and so I've actually observed him and. You know, I've been his, you know, now his boss over the past few years, but also his teacher and his mentor. So, um, one thing that all. I learned, what's that? He's been at all. Kind of, yeah. Teacher One boss, thing that yeah. I learned as a professional, you know, my job was never editor. Um, I was a director. Mm -hmm. But I became a much better director by working with really talented editors. Um, and they weren't trying to teach me, but I was learning how to direct by watching them edit. And by them yelling at me, you didn't get the close-up here, I needed the close-up. Mm -hmm. um, and so I tried to impart that to all my students, but especially Vincent, because he's so always been so keen on it. And what I've seen Vincent do is kind of come to me, and you know, he still calls me Mr. D, because that's the relationship we're established, and we're both more comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Mr. D, I know, you know, what's this? And I would critique 
and say, no, look, you're not, you're not getting it here. You know, this went on for a few years. And I remember one day he's like, all right, Mr. Young, I'm going to show you this edit. And he kind of like cr cringing because he assumed <laughs> that I was just going to criticize him. And I was like, wow, that's like, you did a better job than I would have on that. And I do think that if I, if I understood your question correctly, he did start to understand the cinematic language of how to compose a story, mm. which is what we were talking about before. Yeah. You know, clicked with Vincent at a certain point. And I used to sort of be over his shoulder. And technically, Vincent was always a better editor than me. Yeah. He just understands and, and gets the technique and knows the program much more intimately than I ever do. Yeah. Um, but from a storytelling, he always had issues. He had struggle. And I really need to guide him in that. And he's internalized that. So now I'm like, okay, you're going to do this edit. And it's going to come out great. Mm. I always check it out because I'm responsible for it. But I've seen him grow so much visually without visual ability. Um, so, you know, so that's been an interesting experience for mm. me. Uh, it's so interesting. The um, One of the things that um, comes up a lot in... Uh, technology education and media education is um, th the idea of authorship and who who has access to the skills and equipment of um, to become authors, right? And and uh, young people with autism, just like um, th those who live without uh, those barriers, are great consumers of media. Right. Um, they they uh, like my own kids love to spend some time in front of the screen. Um, one of the things, though, that the cost of technology has helped afford is um, that people have access to authoring tools. And, and we talk a lot in the work that I do about um who gets to author versus who gets to consume. And, and I would argue that probably the most important uh, sort of digital age literacy or skill um, is, is in authorship. Um, and I wonder, Vince, I wanted to ask you with um, things like YouTube and you grew up at a time where you could throw your hands on either a mobile device or a uh, small camera for a pretty affordable um, in a, in an affordable way, um, how did that for you change the role from being a consumer who liked to sit in front of movies and television or whatever you were into, um, versus becoming a, a producer of these things? I think, uh, having access to, uh, you know, a a camcorder when I was younger and being able to record all these things, you know, onto the tape and, you know, being able to put the tape on the computer and whatnot and view all the shots that I took. I think it really gave me kind of the edge to where I am at now, being that it's just become such second nature to pre-visualize these shots, to frame up the shots, to know the rule of thirds and whatnot, mm. and being able to just be like, oh, I've done this for so many years, I know exactly how to frame this. Mm. And then even being able to experiment with uh, framing, knowing, okay, these are your typical shots, you know, you get your wide shot, you get your two close-ups, you know, there's your typical two-person shoot. Yeah. But oh, you know, I could film it from a, a lower angle, a higher angle, you know, maybe even do a Dutch angle if I'm being, uh, you know, creative 
creative enough if I want to be creative enough with yeah. the shop. Tell you'll have to educate people who don't know this language what a Dutch angle is. Well, Dutch angle is uh, it's if you take the oh how do I explain this? It's if you take a camera and instead of it being on the uh, on a leveled axis, you kind of tilt the camera. You can tilt it clockwise or counterclockwise, and if you turn it either way, you can consider that a Dutch angle, and that. Uh, Sometimes it'll it, it can add a certain element of uh, tension to a shot, or uh, usually I see it a lot in uh, horror movies or anything, any thrillers. Mm-hmm. It's really used in. But all these different shots, I've realized over the years, all these different shots can be used to tell different uh, different emotions of of these scenes. Yeah. So instead of me getting my typical, you know wide shot two close-ups very traditional way of uh filmmaking you can add all these different kind of uh obscure experimental angles that will give you a certain feeling and a certain uh it'll 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 just bring you in a little bit more it'll give you a different experience what's your favorite of the obscure angles oh god uh or shot types you know i've 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 done quite a few weird, funny videos with my uh, one of my friends here that used to go to this school, and uh, I can't say I have one particular shot that I'm really invested in. But I do. Uh, I tend to do a lot of handheld stuff because I like uh, I like chaotic filmmaking. I love guerrilla style filmmaking. Yeah. And if I could do something that isn't just a lock off uh, tripod shot, I go for it. You know, I'm like, okay, this shot would be so much more intense if I'm just taking the camera and I'm just like running into the person or I'm like just making it really, uh, you know, just really, uh, I wouldn't say unsettling. I would say like uh, just really intense. Just add some sort of intense element when you go full gorilla style, you know, handheld right. filmmaking. Yeah. So uh, that would be my personal favorite is shooting everything handheld, everything handheld. What's what's the favorite project you've ever worked on? Oh God! Uh, can, and it can be a completely good. It doesn't have to be favorite because uh, you won an award for it, but favorite because you know it's just a moment where uh, creatively it just felt like exactly what you wanted to be doing. So uh, I actually have uh, I have my own YouTube channel that uh, hasn't really been active in recent months, only because of uh, the distance between me and my friend. My friend's name is Sam. Uh, we have. A channel on YouTube called the Sam and Vincent channel where we kind of put up a lot of uh, Tim and Eric kind of videos uh-huh. uh, where most of the time you'll see them they'll start out kind of normal and kind of relaxed and they'll gradually kind of move into this uh, ooh, uh, this chaotic kind of uh, freeform emotional expression that at the time I might be feeling so there's like uh, one video in particular that's kind of interesting is called Sam's Quirks, where uh, we decided, okay, we're, we, me and him, are going to write every single action we do throughout the day. And it's every little action that we've done throughout the day in, like, condensed into, like, a minute. Uh-huh. Uh, and so he, he gave up early on. He was like, oh, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. But I just kept doing it no matter what. I was like, okay, uh, you know, uh, he's... he's, uh, he's eating these Doritos. He, he made a, a comment that he likes Doritos better than cheese puffs. Uh, and, and what we did was, after we took this script, this whole list, we filmed every little action. That we were like, all right, so today we're going to get the Dorito shot. We're going to get the we're gonna get the, the shot where uh, you shot a rubber band at me. Uh, and we threw it all together in this video. And it's, it's, quite, it's quite the weird experience that we planned on to have sequels, but <laughs> never ended up having. Right. But uh, I would say that one's pretty good. You need to get more quirks. Yes, we need to get more quirks. <laughs> so 
That's one of my personal favorites. Uh, but another one that I really liked was uh, we did a uh, video, I believe is just called uh, Vincent's Future Career Might Amaze You. And it's, uh, it's just this really trippy video where like, um, it's, it starts out as this advertisement for this character that's uh, like this pediatrician or whatever. And uh, it's, it just, it, I don't know how to fully explain it, but it's um, like a lot of our videos. It's just a lot of emotional expression as to what I'm feeling in the moment. So mm -hmm. with that video, uh, that, video's, that, that video's got some, some deeper meanings that uh, only me and maybe a couple other people could fully decipher. But... Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy videos on that channel. So uh, if you, if you if you like Tim and Eric you, kind of humor, go check it out. I mean, that's it's can it's you say strange? Can you say more about? Um, you said it's got some deeper meanings. Yes. So Do, are you comfortable sharing an example? Yeah, I, I guess so. So like, uh, I guess one video that's really good we called. Uh, it's kind of an ironic name. It's called Life Sucks. And so what's really interesting about this film that, again, only, a, only, the, only the inner circle would really know of is um, we filmed it all on a uh, camcorder. Well, not a well, professional camcorder, but this camcorder is like 10 years old, films to mini DV tapes. Right. You know. Ugh, and, uh, it's a dinosaur. Didn't work quite right. You know, it definitely <laughs> needed the heads cleaned. So right. it would kind of glitch out every few seconds. So... We use we use that to our advantage. So I had uh, it's a very meta film where uh, it starts out. Sam's uh, he's just depressed or whatever. He's making himself food in the microwave. He goes throws himself on the couch. And he's like, man, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do in life. Uh, and I'm just I'm saying, Sam, you know, I I really think uh, for you it would be great if we made this improv film that would. Uh, that would uh, get his get his hopes up, get get him a little happier, you know, get him to not do anything besides you know lying on the couch, get him up and get him yeah. out and active. Uh, you know, it tells me to leave or whatever, and I'm like, all right, fine, you're on your own, you know. I tried, you know, and it follows it follows him through his day and how uh, over time he just gets he just gets more and more depressed. He's like, man, you know, I, I really want to be doing more with my life right now. Uh, Thing, different different moods like that. In mm -hmm. the end of the film, uh, I come in and I tell, I talk to the audience. I tell the, I tell the, I tell the, the audience, you know, I tried, I tried to help him, and he just, he didn't, he didn't want to be helped. But uh, uh, at the same time, he he verbally and emotionally expressed his his feelings of uh, depression and despair throughout the film. And uh, it's very it's very interesting the way it ends. It's uh, we don't know what happens to him after he walks off. So mm -hmm. it's it's left up to everyone everyone's interpretation. But the music cues kind of hint at uh, you know things to come. Uh -huh. uh, it's it's just it's just weird stuff like that. Sometimes it'll even go not depressed, but it'll go like uh, kind of like an ADHD moment. We did one where it was a, a mixtape video. So like. Uh, I'm making music on a, on the keyboard in the studio or whatever. You know, I bring in my stuff and I'm slamming on the keys. I'm just doing whatever, I, whatever makes me feel good. You know, like uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like stimming in a way. I was just like, oh, you know, these loud noises are going to be like amazing. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to be like really funny, and uh, you know, the, the different elements like that where I give Sam this mixtape that I made and and I'm I'm laughing about it. I'm like, oh, he's going to like hate this. Like it's just going to be mass hysteria, like the loudest noises, most annoying noises out of a keyboard. Mm. 
and it just shows him dancing and like enjoying it or whatever and then it just again like most of our videos drifts into just this crazy mass hysteria like oh man you know what what is this like trippy nightmare music that Vincent mm. made mm. <laughs> so a lot of it's it's very interesting I, I tend to direct him and push Sam around a bit, you know, try to get natural reactions out of him whenever I can yeah. to make uh, our videos a little more genuine. So I made him listen to it in real time. And as he was doing it, I was asking him uh, questions about his life that I would have him respond to and just capture those facial expressions. Yeah. It was very, very, very raw stuff. <laughs> but uh, I'm rambling. <laughs> that's that. No, that's OK. I, <clears throat> I uh, w wanted to give you some room to, to tell the story because um, so, so you guys were the one that was about depression. Parts of this were about, um, like these were things that you were pulling out of your shared experience. Question mark? Uh, I would say so. I would say so. But, um, only to a certain extent, because, uh, another little added hint element was the camcorder that was used was the camcorder that was used to make my very first film here. Mm. So what's interesting is that this camera captured times where I was like 13, you know, doing my first films with Mr. D in the, uh, in, uh, in the class. And what's funny is it's just after all these years, you know, it's degraded and it's not working quite right, but it's, it's still carrying on. Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, that was another element that showed, you know, some, there, there are times where people look back and they're like, okay, you know, as a kid, uh, you know, things were much more simpler and things were just easier. And then now it's progressed into this, this thing where, uh, I guess the element in this video was uh, trying to recapture, uh, you know, recapture childhood memories and like uh, the the how how nice it was to not have a care and mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. like that. And I, I guess um, that was more my experience with the video. And uh, what happens is uh, I tend to have you know Sam Sam's got some he's got some uh, some emotional demons as well, but. Uh, I try to have him, uh, I try to pull that out of him and uh, use those natural emotions in, in these videos. So none of that is scripted. Almost none of these videos are scripted, except maybe a couple will have a written script. But most of them are unscripted when it comes to the emotional por uh, portions. Yeah. So if, uh, if the character is showing these emotions, it's usually because I either triggered him into those emotions or he triggered me into those emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, and it usually works one way or another. So with that video, it was... Uh, for the most part on my end. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think these tools, the cameras, the post, post software, whatever you're editing in, um, do you think these are tools that changed how you deal with uh, those, those emotional demons? Which, by the way, uh, we all have. Of course, of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, I would say so, for sure. I've really looked at it like that for a long time, where I thought, you know, having this studio and having these uh, these privileges to be able to go out and make my own films uh, is a really good uh, release of these just really random chaotic emotions, whether it be like an ADD kind of thing, ADHD kind of thing, or if it's that I'm, you know, feeling down this day and I kind of want to just make a film that expresses these emotions, because mm. uh, I think... A lot of my coworkers will say, "Yeah, Vincent, you don't really show show much emotion besides just, you know, just a very linear. Uh, oh, you're you're doing all right today. You're just kind of doing your your editing jobs, and mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're there. But uh, I kind of express a lot of my emotions through my filmmaking, and uh, 
that that is just something that I'm uh, very grateful for to actually have this kind of outlet of uh, these more raw and deeper emotions that I won't be able to verbally express partially because of my Asperger's, but also because, you know, when it, when it comes to people on the, that spectrum is they're also very shy. Mm. So being able to get past my shyness through filmmaking is uh, is like a godsend. It's uh, it's it's very it's very nice. It's very comforting to know that if I have these emotions or I have these uh, these feelings that I just need to get some random funny video out or something, then I can I can always do that. I have mm. the technology and the know-how to get those emotions out. So what what better outcome is there really, right? Than than for a, a young person to come through that period of their life and have a place to put their emotions. Absolutely. Right. Um, we spend a ton of money on research so that we can go get more money for the programs. And I don't like, you know, do you need to hear anything more than what Vincent just said, that that these tools and these skills give him a place? And I, I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth. So correct me if I didn't get it right. But um, give you a, a way to frame your emotions that's productive and and uh, helps you live a more productive life, you know. I, I kind of I I think I'm going to see you win awards and I think you are um, destined to fulfill all the uh, dreams and production you want to. But uh, for for me, as as one observer, if you achieve nothing else through your work, um, I would say that that's a pretty good pretty good day's work if if you come out with that. Listen, absolutely. And, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of uh, in this program is the fact that our students do come here and do have that opportunity. And it looks different for everyone. You know, sure. Vincent makes films that have, you know, a lot of meaning and he's a great filmmaker. Um, not everybody is doing things that would be appreciated as much as, but doesn't mean that the outlet is not there for them. Mm. Um, so I do think that our, one of our highest purposes, as you kind of observed, is, is just that, you know, young people coming here and it's a way to focus energy, ideas, emotions, um, you know, talents. And what I try to do as my main role is just to give them a structure. You know, I don't want to impose it because what I'm interested in is other people's ideas. I know my ideas. I really want it to bubble up. And, I'm, you know, what's stimulating about this uh, being in this environment is seeing all these young people who are saying, hey, you know, I want to do this or this is my thought. Well, great. I would have never thought of that, but go for it. But giving them that structure mm. so that it can be expressed, you know, uh, uh, in an original way and in their way, but also in the best way. Yeah. So absolutely. Best part of the program. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of social growth throughout all our students since, you know, starting working with the film school in 2013 to now. Uh, we've had a handful of students that have been with us since that, you know, the beginning of that program. And seeing them then to now is is absolutely amazing. We've had some students where uh, I remember one in particular where we were shooting and we just needed one line out of them. We just needed them to say this one line. And it took, uh, I think it took like over a half hour just to get. And now uh, you'd be amazed that he can edit on his own. He can speak uh, very fluently. He can, he can vocalize a lot. And um, he can burn through lines, you know, like that really quick. And uh, that, along with many other kids, we've seen such improvement uh, socially and uh uh, constructively, it's 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 amazing. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm shocked by some of the kids, uh, uh, their their improvement over this time. Yeah, and uh, it's great to feel that you know 
we've actually, you know, we've helped them uh, come out of their shell. And that's uh, it's very fulfilling to be working uh, at the Film Academy uh, just to see those uh, kids, you know, coming out of their shell and just improving so much. Yeah. Do you guys think uh, when we talk about um, when we talk about accessibility and um, a student's student's rights, right? In um, in any classroom setting, if a student was unable either physically or cognitively to uh, to read and write. Um, it would be, we would argue that it's their right to um, earn, you know, through whatever means we need to to use to tailor that experience so that that student can have that right. Um, do you think it's a stretch to say that it's every student's right, especially now that these tools are are very commonplace and accessible to um to be able to uh tell stories and express themselves in in these ways is it a um is it an accessibility issue you know i think it's it's a great question i think that the to me the biggest challenge of education um is figuring out what what is it that we're doing anyway um so I think the answer to the question was that we're doing is really a reflection of our society, you know, and uh, I just had the, the opportunity to see uh, Sir Ken Robinson give the kind of kickoff speech wow. at the tech conference. Cool. And that's the big question that he asked, right? Um, and he thinks he has an answer for it. You know, I tend to agree with a lot of what he says, but it's more the question, what is it that we're doing? Um, so one of the things that really drew me to education coming from a uh, film slash TV profession and background was this um, democratization of the technology hmm. so that everyone can make a, a, a great movie, actually, with an iPhone. You know, not that an iPhone's that cheap, but if you happen to have an iPhone, you can make a great movie and you could edit it on the iPhone. Mm -hmm. So to me, what that means is, yes, we, we've technology has given the storytelling tools to everyone, the whole world, everybody who has access to technology. And obviously not everybody does. But um, so you know, do all students have a right to that? You know, as an educator, the thing that inspires me but also scares me is that I don't know what I don't know. Am I missing an opportunity with the student? And some of my, this, what I would see, are not my successes, but some students' successes came out of left field for me. And that both inspires me and scares me. Mm. Am I missing something? Mm. Um, so I think that as a society, as educators, obviously the more that we do with all students, the more opportunities we're giving them, the more likely we're going to tap into someone who does have that desire and or ability, and we should be giving them those tools. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the problem with that is it becomes infinite. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, all students should be exposed to as much as we possibly can expose them to. And storytelling is one of the most basic human activities since we've been humans, as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. The, the, uh, so we did a tour of the school, and this is the upper um, campus of Spectrum 360, and uh, we saw the um, a culinary studio. We saw um, we are right now in a, um, a film and video studio. 
we I saw a pretty great um, life skills space. Uh, there's essentially a working apartment. Um, this place is a a beautiful place, and when you walk through the door, um, one of the the sort of uh, great pieces of marketing that no doubt is marketing that ties to the ethos and and values of the place. But um, you guys talk a lot about the whole child. Um, can you can you say more about what that means and um, and how it plays out in this environment? Yeah, I mean, it's actually it's key key to our core philosophy, um, and this is kind of at certain times a hot issue. You know, we're in a special education facility that has um, funding through school de- districts, and therefore, really directly through taxpayers. You know, mm-hmm. all education or, yeah. or public education in America is the same boat, um, and it kind of gets back to the question of what is it that we are meant to be doing as educators on a global scale, all educators, right? Reg- you know, regular ed, special ed. Uh, but specifically, there are a lot of people who say, um, you know, we should only be doing one thing with people with autism. You know, we need to be spending our dollars to do this one specific thing, mm. you know. And that could be, you know, there are people who are practitioners of ABA, which we actually practice here in our organization, um, when and where it's appropriate. ABA is Applied Behavior Analysis. Correct. You know, it's a science-based, um, well-studied and well-founded practice, uh, which is not just used in autism, but is also used in autism. And, you know, we have a, a staff who's highly qualified and, and apply that. Um, but there's some people who say that's all we should be doing. And we disagree as an organization because we believe that students who have autism are students first. And that's why we use those kind of terminologies. We don't say autistic students. Students have autism. So yes, they have autism, but they're students first. And as you pointed out, all students deserve all opportunities. If for nothing else, just to be humble, because we just don't know. We don't know what is going to cause a chain reaction with a student. Um, And, you know, I think philosophically, our society believes that all people deserve as many opportunities as we can afford to give them. Mm. So for us, it's, you know, a, uh, a philosophical point of view, but it's also a practical point of view, knowing that you need to be humble as an educator and realize, if I don't expose this student to this thing, we may never know if he had an aptitude or at least even just a joy in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, the idea of the whole child is exactly that. You know, um, many of the students who have come to us from their district are students who have not been allowed or invited to be on their basketball team, on the cheerleading squad, in Girl Scouts. We have, I believe, the only uh, Girl Scout troop that is uh, fully uh, with a population of autistic young young women uh, in New Jersey, at least. Uh, we certainly had that categorization for a while. We're offering things to students that they would get in a typical environment. And, you know, some of that is just legally the IDA states, you know, they need the same you know, that's a whole um, uh, legal argument is that all students need the same opportunity. So, I mean, legally, we need to give that to them. But philosophically, our idea is that uh, a student with autism is a person first, and people need rich environments. People need opportunities to grow, to truly, be, to, to truly reach your potential. You cannot be limited in what you're exposed mm-hmm. to. You know, and you can't just focus on where you're just going to learn certain skills and not these others. Um, and, you know, as educators, we also know that 
things are coming up. Oh, wow, we're not doing that anymore. Our brain is not developing in the same way because we're not doing that activity. So uh, it's really, really the the, basically the, the foundation of our philosophy is giving access to many different types of things. And that's why we have a film academy. That's why we have a culinary academy. That's why we have a Girl Scout troop and a cheerleading squad and a basketball team. And our intention as an organization is to continue that, to continue to offer more, um, try to stay at least on top of the wave of technology, if not in front of it, when we can be, and to continue to do what, um, what regular school districts are doing and hopefully even more when we can. Yeah. I don't... I visit a lot of schools, um, and it's not that often I can say very honestly and and without uh, hesitation that it is extremely rare that I walk into a school and put myself into the shoes of a young person, and I think to myself, I'd like to be here every day. Um, this is a very rare experience where you walk the halls uh People have a lot of purpose. Um, there's a lot of accommodation for us as humans. Um, and there's just a lot of thought put into the light in the cafeteria, the, the um, you know, the way that people uh, greet you and say hello when you enter their classroom. Uh, these are things that you don't find everywhere. And, um, and in some of the, the uh, best quote unquote, uh, institutions in the state, in the country. Um, so my point with that, that's, uh, that I, I was coming around to is that there's so much that's right here that, um, you know, I think a lot of even professionals in education would be shy to come into, uh, a special education environment particularly one that specializes in young people who are um, on the spectrum and in in many cases on the severe end of the spectrum, uh, I would encourage everyone um, to get out and see what innovation is happening in special education because, you know, the things that are happening here for young people living with autism are the things that I want for my kids. Um and it just feels so right, and uh, so so I guess I'm I'm paying a compliment, <laughs> but but I guess what I'm saying more broadly is is just that I think that special education has so many things so very right, and the whole child, um, and that spirit that you guys are bringing to this work uh, is one of them. So I don't want to um, finish our conversation without asking you guys about a really exciting trip that's coming up and project that you're about to be working on. Vincent, you were uh, telling me about your um, uh, worries and woes about uh, going to do a shoot in uh, in the desert and uh, being in Israel for the first time. Um, <laughs> yeah, tell us well, about uh, this project that you guys are about to, to go and shoot. Well, from what I've been filled in on so far, it's about uh, two young boys uh, or girls. girls. Yeah, we're not sure yet, but uh, two young children who are attending the same school. But the thing is, one of them will be uh, Arab and one will be uh, Jewish. And that's very unique for this certain certain school. So it's a very unique situation uh, for the school to have these two kids come from these different worlds and uh, for this one instance, they're hanging out and socializing 
and uh, working together in the same classroom, um, which is very interesting. So this will be, uh, we're planning on this being a five-day trip starting around March, early March. And uh, why I was uh, talking about my worries was I've actually never really been out of the country before. Mm -hmm. So for me to go from, you know, my small town in New Jersey to Israel is uh, quite the, the culture shock. Yeah. So, you know, I may be a little nervous, but I'm also very excited. You know, yeah. I'm very uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this trip and to really experience, uh, you know, the, uh, the how the other half lives, you know. Yeah. One of the fascinations by the um, certainly the, the field of education, but especially the, the funding community. Uh, and it goes back to something you said earlier of, of sort of what are we trying to do? And we've had, we've been fixated for a long time on the sort of workforce readiness piece. Um, so I, I want to check that box, I guess. Um, Vince, you, um, I think you did recently an Adobe certification, Oh, I actually recently taught a class on uh, getting an Adobe certification for a small group of about five kids. And uh, we spent the past year working on uh, going through the online course. And uh, yeah, that was that was very involved. That mm. was uh, very involved working with each student, uh, helping them study and work up towards, you know, the quizzes, because I believe it's a five section uh, yeah. piece. And uh, yeah. That that was uh, that was very involved. It was very. Uh, what are the other? Not that um, you know, David doesn't want to lose a, a uh, his his right hand. But um, for the professionals that are listening, who would be interested in like what kind of what kind of resume you leave a program like this with? What are the other skills? So you did an Adobe certification. I would imagine you know uh, a bunch of cameras. Yes, yeah, we've uh, we we actually use three different types of cameras in here. Mostly, we have the HD uh, cameras. We have our four, uh, new 4K cameras, but we also have DSLR cameras for more of a cinematic look, mm -hmm. if uh, that's what the kid desires. Yep. Um, so yes, we've actually worked with uh, quite a few bits of camera equipment as well as audio lighting equipment. So we're we're also sitting with uh, a. In a corner of the room that is painted green, I would yes, imagine. Yes, of course. This is our green screen set. Some training with uh, motion graphics. Yes. Yeah, we work with. Um, well, actually, me personally, I've worked with uh, Premiere, Photoshop, Illustrator, and After Effects. Those are my my big four right now. You know, I'd like to branch off into more of the other stuff, like getting to know InDesign and things like that. Maybe never Flash, but things like that. I mm -hmm. would like to get more familiar with. But uh, as of right now, we teach our kids mostly. Uh, Premiere and uh, little hints of After Effects here and there where it's needed. Like we've used After Effects to make uh, the intro title for a lot of our videos are Academy 360, Film Academy mm -hmm. 360 logos. They're all animated in After Effects by us. All of the, all the students use the green screen and the chroma key. Mm -hmm. That's what, you know, so everything yeah. that we do is usually green screened. Yes. And so they don't have to do the chroma key yeah. feature. You know. That's awesome. another thing we teach them. We actually here made our own uh, series of premiere how-to videos that are very simplified and don't go, you know, don't have any meaningless jargon like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I personally prefer doing this effect because this, this, and that. No, it's, okay, open up the, open up the project. Go to the projects panel. Select the clip you need. Drag it down to the timeline. It's very direct. 
and it's very uh, modeled towards the students that we have here on mm -hmm. the spectrum. And we've seen those videos really help a lot of these students be more independent and just know, oh, okay, I need to, I need to remember how to do this. Let me go check that video and see if I could find out how to do this, 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 and that. And we have one related to the green screen effects. So if the kid wants to, uh, if the student wants to know how to do the green screen effects, putting a background in their video, well, we have videos for that. We yeah. helped uh, make media for that. And that's actually a good example of modification because, you know, there's so many YouTube videos were, you know, paid or free on all this stuff. And what we saw was that most people who do a YouTube video like that start talking. And they're like, so, you know, when I first saw this and, you know, then my mm -hmm. buddy mm -hmm. and we're like, whoa, whoa, you're just confusing me. Tell me how to do it. Mm -hmm. And our guys, you know, when you start talking at them like that, like they do on most how-to videos, they're just shut down. So what we did, and it's actually Vincent's voice, was we did the simplest step-by-step, -step, fewest words that you could use. And our students really seem to take to that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's actually something I'd like to explore more. Um, as just a modified teaching tool, mm -hmm. you know, keeping verbalization to a minimum and just showing them what they need to do step by step. Yeah. Um, and giving them a pause also. So we kind of built it to our students' needs. It's pretty amazing. So that's another another way that uh, the institution, I'm sure, leverages the talent that's that's in this room. Yes. Uh, yes. So that's that's pretty major. Um I don't want to keep you guys any longer. I am uh, so grateful for the opportunity to hang out here today, and and I hope I hope I can uh, figure out a way to score another invite uh, to come back, and because uh, I have so many things we didn't we didn't get to scratch on that uh, that I hope we can. Well, Before I want, to, yeah. I want to thank you for coming, and you're definitely welcome to come back, and you know please invite your listeners to come and visit us as you. Informally did, but it would be great to get them here to see what we're doing and engage with us. So I would love that. Our doors are open. So the upper school is in Livingston, New Jersey. Um, you can, uh, let's just plug real quickly, website for Spectrum 360. So uh, Spectrum360.org is our organizational website. Yep. From there, you can get to each of our programs. Uh -huh. If you want to check out Film Academy 360, it's just filmacademy360.org. Great. Uh, and Film Academy 360 has its own uh, Facebook and Instagram. So I'd like to plug those and follow us. We're, we're posting all the time. Great. And that's a great way to keep on, on top of what we're actually doing, great. including the Israel Project. Yeah. Um, if I have listeners who work in special education, they want to make a case to um, their principals or to their board um, to bring in a media program like this. Um, can they come find you guys to talk more? Yeah, absolutely. Great. You know, and, and you can get to me through the website. Uh, Perfect. David Diani uh, on the uh, Spectrum360.org website. Correct. Um, Vince, uh, Sam and Vincent is the channel on YouTube. You said it's it's been laying a little dormant, but so it's it's dormant for the time being. I gotta convince him to you know come back and do the videos. Like, hey man, you know, let's hang out, let's create some more content, you know, because he's he's telling me he's like, oh, you know, I kind of miss making videos. I've been doing my own solo projects, which, uh, you know. Have been hit or miss, yeah. in my personal opinion. But yeah, you know, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to bring him back in. Like, hey, we need to collaborate again. So yeah, maybe someday soon, some new stuff will be uploaded there. Collaborators are good. Anything else you wanna you wanna plug or tell people about? Well, yeah, I wanted to say uh, I don't know if you already talked about uh, Media Crunch at all. Go. Um, geez, so 
how do I how do I keep this short? So Media Crunch, uh, you know, is the is the place where all of the Saturday videos go. All those other programs, the after school programs that the Film Academy mm -hmm. produces, yeah. go into this channel called Media Crunch. Now, if you type in Media Crunch on YouTube, it'll actually be the first result, which is a great a great plus for us that our search results uh, give us such positive uh, results. So. Um, it's it's really the place where all of these kids with these creative uh, their creative ideas and all all their they get to show their creative abilities through uh, media crunch. So there's comedy sketches, there's uh, food uh, how tos, there's video game reviews, there's uh, movie reviews. Uh, a lot of big ones are are the comedy sketches. We we do tend to do a lot of those. Amazing. Let me let me just jump in with something that we should also mention while we're here. Uh, May 11th is our annual film festival. Mm -hmm. This year it will be in the new Communications and Media Center at Montclair State University. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so it would be great to see our student films, which subsequently you'll have the opportunity to see in our YouTube channel, Media yes. Crunch. Yes. The student filmmakers will be there presenting their own films. Uh, and I think your listeners may just be really interested to see that new center. It's just beautiful at Montclair State University. It's brand new, beautiful. The screening room is beautiful. And all of our students who are presenting will be there presenting their videos. And it's definitely open to the public. So, um, Yes. Support young creators uh, of all kinds and abilities. I, I could not. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there. Great. Looking forward. Um, thank you guys for having me. This was such a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Same here. <laughs> for more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. This podcast was produced in partnership with Mouse, a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us on the web at mouse.org. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, and Olympic fully clothed hotel pool swimmer. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats.